and amen. Well, how are we doing? I'm going to preach quick today because uh, there is a delightful smell coming down the hallway that's encouraging me to move quickly so we can get a potluck. Um, before, before we do so, I uh, just wanted to share a story. Uh, as, as you give and take, um, as you give tithes and offerings to help support uh, the ministry here in the church, um, sometimes you may wonder where these things go. Like, you know, we're getting a building. Everybody excited about that. Um, very thankful. Uh, somebody, uh, we were talking about, we were fixing to launch a chair campaign to have everybody say if you want to buy a chair. And then somebody stood up and said, hey, we're, we're going to write the check and pay for every one of those chairs so that you don't need to worry about that anymore. Um, chairs are expensive, everybody. Uh, it's like little, like $6,000 expensive. So uh, if anybody complains about chairs in the new building, bring your own, okay? Uh, and yes, they all match, but we will have one chair in the mix that will be mismatched because we will never forget where we came from, amen? So um, so yeah, m- our money goes towards that. It goes towards uh, supporting missions, but also we give back to what we call the missionary church. Uh, missionary church is our denomination. They're actually the ones that uh, when... Other banks were like, yeah, we don't like giving money to the church. Missionary Church said, oh, we do. We're going to invest in you. We love your store. We love what God's doing. And um, so I want to give you a quick quick little update about how the Missionary Church giving works and how your giving is making a direct impact, not just here in Monk's Corner in Berkeley County, but also in a little town called Goldsboro, North Carolina. Anybody know where Goldsboro is? Okay. Uh, probably It's probably like my hometown, Dillon, uh, you go through it to get to Myrtle Beach. That's kind of what that is. But in Goldsboro, the missionary church helped plant a Haitian church, Haitian church. Um, really easy to do in like Miami and some of those places, Goldsboro, not so much. But there, there's a group of Haitians that, that these pastors came in, these Haitian pastors and said, hey, we want to we want to reach people. They became a part of our missionary church denomination. They started out with a vision that God was going to help them make disciples. There were nine people in the room when they had their first service. All right. A lot of pastors in America would quit right there. Nine people showed up to the first one. Can't get any better. But they, they kept on. They, they met a year ago with nine people um, in a living room. They grew to 25 people in their first year. They moved into a, uh, a church building that they share with an existing church. And nine months later, they now have over 100 Haitians that are meeting every Sunday morning. Uh, and, and, and they're out of space, so they're they're having to find a building as well. So when you give, you you not only help to serve uh, the people here in this community and in this through this body, but you're also making impacts with people that you didn't even know about. There's a Haitian church today that has been directly tied to the generosity of our church. So I want to say thank you for making that happen because it's needed. The gospel is needed here in the United States. Do you agree with that? All right. Well, let's. Let's look at James chapter 3. We are finally back in James after the world's falling apart and we probably needed to stop and talk about end times and heaven. Everybody clear on those subjects? At least you got quite more questions than you have answers? Good. Now you can ask the Holy Spirit what to do with those. He'll help you out. James chapter 3. This is a hard uh, conversation because we all struggle with this, whether you would say, uh, I, I don't I don't have any issue with this, but I would, I would uh, probably just go on a limb and say, yeah, you, you do, I do. Uh, to some extent, we all need work on it. And so let's talk about taming our tongues. Anybody have a problem with some of the stuff that comes out of our mouth sometimes? All right, got one that is already in confession mode. Well, look at what the Bible says in verse two. He says this, for, for we all stumble. So who stumbles? 
we, okay, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he's very mature. Um, and he's able to also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large, driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. And wherever the will of the pilot directs, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small a fire starts ablaze, a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire. And it, and in itself, set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, fish, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it, we, we uh, curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not come out of the same mouth. No, they should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? And can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. The tongue has incredible power. Would you agree with me with that? It has an incredible power. In just these few verses, in verse 3, he compares the tongue to the bit of a horse. Now, I love going to the Monk's Corner Christmas Parade and seeing the horses. And, and then some of the bigger cities with the big Clydesdale horses. And it amazes me of the power that these horses can, you know, you think you're in control, but all it takes is one spook or the horse just like, yeah, I'm done and just throw you off, right? Uh, growing up, my, my uncle and cousins had horses. And we would go out there and they would talk about, nah, these things are good. We got them under control. And I just remember... Um, one day, my cousin shows up to school, and, and he had a big bruise on his side because uh, he found out something. You never walk behind a horse because they kick. <laughs> so he found out real quick. He does not have control of this big beast. But the Bible says is that our tongues are like a bit of a horse. Like when you, when you have control of that horse and you pull, he will turn in whatever direction that you, that you pull on the rein. And then he likens it not just to a horse, but he says to the rudder of a ship. It steers. I mean, you can have the, I mean, we have, we have these big aircraft carriers out in the ocean and these battleships and these destroyers and they're magnificent and the cost and the billions of dollars for these things. But all it takes is for one rudder to go out and this whole thing is done, right? You, you can be having a great day out on Lake Moultrie fishing and all it takes is for the anchor rope to get caught up in the engine and ha where are you going nowhere uh we were out in a duck boat we thought it would be a good idea to buy a duck boat and uh, i had never driven a duck boat with a, a big motor on it and uh we went out for a little test ride you know just got to get get used to the bumps and and doing all these things and i remember the trolling motor that was attached to the side you, you hear what i said it was attached to the side uh because when i made my turn uh, we lost it. Uh, it's it's down in the creek somewhere down by Bushy Park. So if you find the trolling motor in the water, please bring it back. That boat had zero. It was no good when the motor came out. It was done. And he says that our tongues are like these, these rudders that steer a ship. 
Like if we're not careful, it, it can lead us into good places. It can lead us in the bad places. These, these things, rudders and bits are, are very small in themselves. But both of them have incredible ability and incredible power to control large and powerful bodies that they're attached to. Wouldn't you agree with that? And it's relatively a small part of our bodies. Our tongues are, but it determines the entire course of our lives. If you think about it, people form their opinions of you based off the things that you say. The things, and, and hey, not just verbally, but I would also say the things that you type and post and text. Those are where we, we need to include all of those things. Your words are powerful because people will judge you based off your, your opinions of you, based off of what you say. They'll determine your intelligence on your words. I remember a few years ago, um, we lived in Lancaster, South Carolina for a few years, and there's a little town right above it at the North Carolina line called Indian Land, South Carolina. And they were going to move this big corporation in that was going to be a telemarketing company. And then they started interviewing people. And they realized that was not a good idea. Because people didn't speak with the same proper grammar that they were expecting from the telemarketers, right? Uh, I can tell you right now, there's not a telemarketer company in the hometown that I grew up in because it's its own language. You would have to have a translator to translate. Like when it gets, for instance, when it gets cold outside and you need to put a hat on, what's that hat called that you put on? Toboggan, right? Well, we call it a toboggan. Okay. I didn't know this. I thought that was the proper term. I go to college and I make that and then everybody laughs at the way I said it. I was like, what? y'all are the ones mispronouncing it. And I realized, huh, I'm from a very awkward, weird place. And so he says that sometimes your intelligence can be determined by the things that you say, how you speak, how you carry yourself with your words. You can begin and end a relationship with words. Anybody testify? Maybe, <laughs> right? Think about your marriage. Your marriage began through words. Will you marry me? And it, it should have started with this. Um, Dad, can I marry your daughter? That's where it should start. But, you know, whatever. Um, oh, yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a full exam. SAT is going to be easy compared to what I've got. Um, you, you begin and end relationships with words. With your tongue, you can draw people close to you. You have those people that are like, you know what, I when life is shaken, I can just go talk to them and they're going to make me feel better with what they say. And then there's some people when life's bad, you're like, I sure hope fill in the blank doesn't find out because they're going to make this feel awful. And I don't want to talk to them. Like those are the people you see them pop up on your caller ID and you're like, mm, probably going to let that one go to voicemail right now. You don't want to talk to them. It, your words play such a powerful piece. Your, your tongue can be used to divide and, and to connect. And, and if we're not careful, we can damage a lot of things. It's, it's powerful. In verse 5, James compares the tongue even not just to a bit or a rudder, but he also compares it to a wildfire. You know, massive, destructive wildfires. We, we just saw this a few months ago, right? They all start with the smallest of flames. If you look back at Maui, on the, on the beautiful islands of Hawaii, I got um, a couple of friends that live there that are part of our, our denomination, and they were talking about these wildfires and saying, hey, the wildfire really just started with a spark. That's all it was. It was like one little spark. And then a couple of hours later, it, it, or in just a few minutes, the spark grew to, to like a 10 square feet. It, it wasn't very big of, of a fire. And then they came over the news saying that, hey, everything is fine. Um, we got it under control. It's just a small brush fire. Now, you've seen the news. Was that a small brush fire? 
All right, so language barrier, apparently, because brush, small brush fire means I can put this out with the water hose. You have an entire island on fire that's no longer a brush fire. They said that this, within a few hours, they said we have this small brush fire 100% contained. It's not going to go anywhere, but it just got out of control. And the next thing we knew, we were watching the news and the afternoon reports that the fire it was taking up everything. There were 97 people that lost their lives because of this one little spark. It has actually been recorded as the worst natural disaster in Hawaii. One little spark creates so much from a little spark. Think about how the destruction that has come into your life through words. Think about that for a second. If, if I asked you to recount the most painful moments of your life, Chances are it will revolve around something someone said. Would I be right in that assessment? About something somebody said about you. We don't like our character to be attacked. And we can think about words that were said to us. Some of you are still carrying words that were said to you when you were a child. And you're holding on to those things. Some of you are carrying words that were said to you in high school. Through a teacher, through a parent. And you're still holding on. All these years later, you're still holding on to those words that, that cause so much damage. Think about the pain that your words have caused to other people. Because like a bit and like a rudder and like a fire, the tongue contains the power of life and death. It's powerful. And this is why James says the tongue is nearly impossible to tame. It's impossible to tame. It's hard. If you don't believe it, just go out in traffic. Rush hour traffic. I, I, I plead with you. Come back down the interstate coming out of Charleston at about 445, because I think everybody cheats and leaves work early. And let me know how it works with everybody trying to get on 26 from 526. Y'all know that merge point I'm talking about? Like Jesus and I have had some really good conversations at that point about loving people and forgiving people. You really learn where your words are when you get in those moments of tension. It's hard, it's hard to tame. This is why in verse 7, James says that every kind of animal, the bird, the reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. You, you can tame just about any animal you want to, right? It amazes me sometimes, that, you know, like our dogs. I love my dogs. We, we have two dogs in our home, and, you know, we were going to be a one-dog family, and then um, our, our kids and, and my wife kept saying they wanted a second dog. I said, we don't need a second dog. And, hey, we have a second dog, and um, that now I, I feel like that dog is mine. Like, we, we share a bond. But, but this dog, the dogs are sweet, and they, they like to sit with you, and, you know, they like to play. And then every once in a while, they'll do something, and you're like, oh, this is an animal. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you walk in and I don't know, your couch cushion is, is now in, in shreds and it's all over the place. You're like, oh, that, that's a wild animal. Like they, they, but we, we've tamed them, so to speak, right? You see these people that, that have, uh, I was reading a story just recently about a guy in San Francisco that had a pet lion. You seen the emotional support animal the guy had of the alligator? Yeah, because nobody talks to him anymore. So he, emotionally, he's good. Nobody gets close. We can tame about anything. It's not hard. But James, James is saying like even with all the positive thinking and all the self-help techniques that we go through, all the books that we can read, we cannot tame the tongue. That is the hardest thing to try to tame. It's, it's nearly impossible 
to tame the tongue. He says that a world of unrighteousness, he says it's empowered by the flames of hell itself. The things in our mouth, it would be easier to tame a gamecock. Wait, bad example. It would be easier to tame a tiger. Wait, bad example. It would be easier to tame a spitting cobra than it would to tame our tongue. To not spit toxicity at us. It's a dangerous thing to, to deal with. Think about how often you said something that now you, you so wish that you could take that back and not have said that. Gosh, if I could just get it back. I always remember as a kid, they would talk and share this story and they would bring a tube of toothpaste in. Anybody remember those old illustrations? And they would spray all the toothpaste out and they're like, all right, now try to put the toothpaste back in. Well, you can't. You just sprayed it all out. That's impossible. Well, that's your words. It just comes out and you can't, you can't get them back. And there are moments that we wish that we could take them back. You know, James talking about these forest fires. He didn't know that even today in our forest fires, these forest fires that James talks about in verse 5, they're usually not caused by arson. They are caused by being careless. Did you know 80% of all forest fires today are caused because people are careless? They just, you know, I don't know. The ground's dry. Why not throw fire out the window? You know, why not? Oh, yeah, there's a burn ban. It's best time for us to do a bonfire in the backyard. We, we typically, these, these things are called because we're careless. And he, he says the tongue is... It, is like a fire misused with one little spark causes all this damage because we're careless and we end up losing relationships. We end up disconnecting from God. We end up disconnecting with other people and eventually we disconnect from ourselves because we can do so much damage. <clears throat> you know, a lot of fires in your life is because something slipped out, right? I didn't mean that. Y'all always said that. I didn't mean that. And sometimes it just slips out. It might be a hateful comment. It might be an outburst of anger. It might be a degrading comment. You know, you may have the verbalization of saying something that's lustful. Sometimes it just comes out. We try to filter it. And sometimes we filter it like we, we have our Sunday morning filter in church where we can't let these things be said. But then when we leave here, we take that filter off and we just kind of let our hearts do whatever they want to do. And then we come back in here and we compartmentalize. The if I'm with these people, i got to put a filter on. If I'm, if, if I'm not, then I don't have to have my Christian filter. Right? Sometimes it's not arson, it's just carelessness because nobody can tame the tongue. Which leads us to point number three. The tongue exposes the wickedness of our hearts. It exposes the wickedness of our hearts. Your, your words are the clearest and best indicator of what's in your heart. You have seasons where you're complaining. That's a good indicator. Where you're angry. That's a good indicator. You know, Jesus said to guard your heart. Guard it. Protect it. Because what comes in it will come out. I say it all the time. Whatever you put down in the well will come back in the bucket. And sometimes when it comes back in the bucket, it splashes onto other people. James says in verse 6 that, that the tongue is set on fire by the flames of hell. He's not just using some type of, uh, like a metaphor. He means that the powers of sin and corruption and hell itself, our depravity, is at work in our heart. And it manifests through the things that we say. So, 
when we have issues with other people, when we're just going at other people, it's an indicator in our heart of what's really going on with our relationship with God. Because to not be able to love somebody else means that you haven't fully learned to love God. What do you say the two greatest commandments were? To love others and to love him. But to love others, you got to love him because the only way to know what love is is to love him. That's what 1 John says. God is love. You can be an unbeliever and not a follower of Jesus and tell people, I love you, but you fully don't understand what that is until you have a relationship with the Father. Because then it means something completely different. And our hearts show the depravity. A tongue problem is ultimately a heart problem. And James hints at this in verse 12, because remember he said, can a fig tree, can a fig tree bear olives? Right? No, I mean, no, that's, it's, it's called a fig tree for a reason. Because a fig tree produces what? Figs. Olive trees produce. So you can't cross those things. It doesn't matter how much a fig tree wants to produce olives. The, the, the fig tree can read books about olive production. Um, it can listen to some podcasts about olive production. It doesn't matter what it does about, hey, I want to produce some olives. And then it's going to find out that it can't. It doesn't matter how much willpower it has. It will never produce olives because it's a fig tree. And he says, neither can salt. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Can't do it. Your problem, James says, is that your heart is a salt water pond of undrinkable water. And no amount of filtering or trying to deodorize that will change it. Jesus said, Matthew 15, 19. For from the heart come, listen to these things. This is, he says, not out of your mouth, from your heart. From your heart come evil thoughts, murders, whoa. Quite a jump there, right? Adulterers, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemy. And I feel like he probably would have continued, but the list would have been way too long. But Jesus says it, it's, it's a heart problem. That's why you have to guard your heart because whatever comes in here will come out of here. And how do we guard it? With the scripture. Reading his words. Taking his words in. We, we spend so much time. And, and I love, the, like I challenge you to read your Bible as much as possible. Every day you should be in it. But don't get so caught up in trying to read the Bible through in a year. That's great if you can do it. But it's not about how much Bible you get through. It's about how much of the Bible gets through you. I mean, if you spend the next year in James chapter 1 in the first five verses and the Holy Spirit's working, and all you got was five verses reading every single day, well, praise God, you spent time with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he really worked with you through those verses. We got, we got to reverse how we see things. When we guard our hearts and protect what comes out of our mouth, it is we're getting the protection from the Scripture because we're letting that flow through us. It doesn't mean that we never say things and we never backfall, right? We never lose our temper. None of that, that doesn't mean. What it means is, we're, we're less likely to do those things. Because there's a little thing called convict. I know what that is? We'll come to that later. And he says, our culture says this, follow your heart. No, don't do that. Why do we not follow our hearts? Somebody just tell me real quick why we do not follow our hearts after reading what we just read. 
Listen, if I followed my heart, the things that I would put on social media that I read and I want to respond to, you would remove me from here. You might remove me from this community, not this church community. Like you can't, you need to go back where you came from. Because there's sometimes I'll read stuff and I'm like, I feel like I should fix this. I should say something. This is dumb, but I have to have my, okay, Jesus, I won't do that. I'll, I'll hold back. I'm not going to follow my heart. Following your heart will get you in a lot of trouble. Following Jesus, on the other hand, will put you in some really good places that you need to be with him. No doubt. Don't follow your heart. Don't worry about self-help. Don't worry about that. Self-help books don't work. That's why there's a new one every single year. But the Bible has continued to be the number one bestseller on, on everything. It's all the help you need. Do not follow your heart. If you don't take anything else away from today's message, do not follow your heart. Your heart's a mess, and the worst things from your heart slip out of your mouth. And that's actually just a, a small fraction of the depravity of our heart. Let me give you some practical pieces as we, we close this thing down. So we know our hearts are powerful, our tongues are powerful. We know we got to guard our hearts from these things. We, we know that, that taming them is, is nearly impossible. Well, let me give you a couple of three things very quickly that I think will help you to begin to put these into practice. Um, I, I, would, I would counsel you here. I, I would tell you, be slow to speak. I'm just letting that marinate for just a minute because that's my biggest, I, I don't, sometimes I, I'm, I already got my response. Anybody else? Like sometimes I let my responses cook before the conversation and, and I got it and I'm ready and I'm just ready to tell you uh, with, with grace and truth. And sometimes there's a lot more truth than there is grace and that's not biblical. And, and I, can, uh, I, I can run with the best of them when it comes to coming at you and, and speaking off the, off the hip, out of, out of my heart, and, and not being slow to speak, but being quick to, to speak and being really quick to damage relationships. James said in 119, chapter 1, verse 19, he said, be slow to speak, because knowing the power of the tongue and how closely the tongue is connected to our depravity of our heart, we should be slow to speak and be very careful about the things that we say, can I just tell you what I've learned in this short life that I have lived? Not everything that I feel like needs to be said needs to be said. Sometimes the greatest prayer I can pray in the mornings is Holy Spirit, shut my mouth. He will. Or he'll humble you. One of the two. And I choose for him just to shut my mouth. I hate the humility part. Be slow to speak. I went, when I first got into ministry, I had a friend of mine. I said, give me some advice. You've been doing this a little while. What would you tell me to do? And his first piece of advice is, you need to be slow to speak. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to get angry with people in your church. I was like, nah, church people are the best people. Um, I've learned a thing or two since then. Sometimes I learn it's more at a pastor than it is the church. You know, don't, don't agree with that, but I'm just saying. And he said, here's what I would do. You're, you're going to people that are going to rub you the wrong way. And it's always going to be their fault in your mind. So what you're going to do is when you have those moments, you're going to write out on paper how you feel, and you're going to tell them how you feel on paper. Not type it. You're going to physically write it out. Because if you're really bold enough to say it, you should be strong enough to write it. And you're going to write it, and you're going to sign it, and you're going to date it, and then you're going to have one drawer in your desk, and that's where that piece of paper goes. And in a week, you can pull that paper back out and read it and see if you still feel the same way. 
I was like, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Then I was doing some Google and saw that Abraham Lincoln actually used to do this. And so I started putting that into practice. You know how many of those things that I've sent? None of them. I don't think that I would be standing here today had I sent those letters to the people that they were intended for. I had to learn how to be slow to speak. Still not the best at it. But you gotta be you gotta be in a position to be slow to speak. Abraham Lincoln said when he did this, had he released some of the things that he had written, he would not have been remembered as the president that he was remembered as. It would have ruined his whole everything, his whole legacy. So be slow to speak. Because what will happen is when you write these things down and you just hold back, God will do a work in your heart. You're like, well, those people get away with the things they said. No, they don't. God's got it under control. He's just probably not going to do it the way that you want to. I've got a note right here on my phone that's been sitting here for, I think, going on five years that I wrote. And it was like 10 pages when I wrote it because I was really mad. It's down to two paragraphs. And I feel like in the next five years, I'm going to be able to delete the whole thing because there's going to be nothing there because God's worked on my heart. Because I've, I've got to learn to be slow to speak. Be quick. If you're going to be slow to speak, be quick to say I'm sorry. Hardest two words in the English language. I'm sorry. We have such a hard time saying that, don't we? It's tough. Because to say I'm sorry means that I have to admit that I've done something wrong. But you know the first step to coming to Jesus is admitting that you're a sinner. It's the very first step. And we've got to learn how to say I'm sorry. Do not ever underestimate the power of those two words that can heal somebody. I remember I, had, I was in a meeting one time and I said something to one of our staff members. And I didn't, I didn't think that it was harsh, but they received it that way. And it was damaging. And there were tension that had built because of just a couple of words. And I remember having to come back into that conversation because I'm, I'm a guy three weeks later and I said, hey, I, I just want to apologize because I'm, I'm sorry that I said what I said. And even though I did not intend it that way, it doesn't matter how I intended it. All that matters is how you heard it and that was wrong of me and I apologize. And you know what happened to the tension? It released, but I also found that the words that I had said were very similar to what her father had told her when she was growing up that she had held on to for so long. And it brought about a conversation to have some healing. Maybe there's something that you said to a spouse or to a friend or to a child or, or maybe even your parent, and maybe it was years ago, and maybe the reason you're holding on to it because you've not said that you were sorry and initiated that. And, and by the way, forgiveness isn't necessarily about the other person. I, I believe forgiveness is more about you and Jesus than it is about anybody. Because by not forgiving, you just, man, you're just drinking poison, hoping another person dies. That's all it is. Learn to say that you're sorry. Learning to say you're sorry will do more than you can possibly realize. Jane, what if... <laughs> If what James is saying is true is that our, our tongues are untamable and they're connected to our depravity, wouldn't you expect followers of Jesus who grasp this concept to find themselves apologizing more than we do? And I would use this word, repenting. 
Like, there may be some things in here today that you just need to send a simple, I'm sorry. You don't have to explain everything and rehash out everything. Some of it is just, I'm sorry, to bring about the healing that you need in your life. When you do so, here's the promise, you will receive peace. Because some of you lose sleep at night because you were quick to speak and not slow. And you need to make some apologies. And, and once you do, there's a peace. In order to be able to speak peace, you have got to be at peace. I heard it said years ago that hurt people hurt people. Because what is in our heart comes out. And we can't be at peace. And the way to fix all of that is to replace the unhurtful words that you've heard from others with healing words of Jesus. You replace words of criticism and comparison and judgment and condemnation and fear and anxiety with the assurance that God unconditionally loves you and will empower you to do his good works. Jesus says right now, he says this, that you are safe with me. I've never stopped loving you. Before you were even born, I had a plan for you. You were special and I've always been there every second by your side, weaving it all for good. I got you. That's the Robbie translation of Psalm 139 and Romans 8. If you're a believer, this is, this is what he says to you. Embrace those words. Dwell on those words that God unconditionally loves you. Wants what's best for you. So today, you, you're, you're in one of two places. And you might find yourselves in both. Maybe words were said to you that hurt. And the person that needs to say, I'm sorry, you know good and well, they'll never say that. Let me ask you this question. What does Jesus need to heal for you to, to move forward? For some of you, you would say, man, I, I was a jerk and I caused this and this is me. Or at least I've got a part of this and I need to apologize. Even if they won't, I need to take the first step to say, I'm sorry. And if you're in that camp, you need to make a phone call today or make a visit or make a text. You need to make some, some movement forward. This is what we do. Understand, as a follower of Jesus, we are not perfect. This is why James said, all of us, we all have tongues. They're all uncontrollable. But we guard our hearts with the word of God so that we can protect what comes out. That the things that we would say, that when we come into this place and we sing, like we're going to sing in just a minute. When we sing and, and just glorify God and tell God how great he is. Don't let it be with the same tongue that we come out of here and curse our brothers and sisters. So I don't know where it is today for you, but I just want you to spend these next few moments just praying and asking God, what does he want you to do? The Holy Spirit will guide you. And if you feel like, man, I think I'm good. I've, all our relationships seem good. I don't think I've, I don't feel any conviction of that. Then I would just pray, I would ask you to pray for God just to continue to bless your heart. And maybe, maybe for you, he wants to use you to help somebody else move forward in that healing. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much uh, for who you are. Um, things can be difficult with us as people. We, we, we struggle with the things we say. We're quick to speak. We're not slow. Those things aren't natural. But we trust your Holy Spirit will convict us of those things and will, will help us be able to speak words of life, not words of death. Send the tongue that brings life and death. And I just pray today that even in this moment as we sing, that part of us singing is singing words of life to you, our Father. 
And I just pray for boldness in this room of those who feel like they've got to make an apology. Even if it was 50 years ago, I pray that you would give them empowerment to do so. But God, let them know that you are with them when they do. You go before us. And I pray these things in your powerful name. Amen and amen. Would you stand?